Following the fire. <sighs> and I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire, a podcast for Christians who are rethinking their faith and need a safe place to doubt. As we wander through the spiritual wilderness, we want to find and follow God wherever the pillar of fire leads. And just like God's people in the Bible, we get lost, we miss the point, and we don't have all the answers. But maybe that's okay. We're on this journey together. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Even on my heart Can't compare with what you're worth Yeah, so it's, it's been a while since just you and I chatted on the podcast. That's kind of, I kind of missed him, Nathan. I mean, you've been there. I've but. missed you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same. We don't, we don't get to talk to each other when there's a guest. Right. Right. Or if we do, I start to feel uh, bad for the guest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hang out for a second. I have something to ask Steve. <laughs> yeah. Can you just uh, mute your audio real quick? Yeah. You're, you're great. And you have some good points, but I don't really like the direction you're going. So. <laughs> let's let's get this back on the rails with Nathan right. and Steve. So what have you been up to? Oh man. What have I been up to? My rocks are tumbled. I just feel like I should give an update. Oh yeah, yeah. Um how how did and, that, uh, it take I heard I've heard that that takes longer than you expect. It takes a very long time. I, it maybe took double the amount of time I initially thought. I thought it was going to be a month. And for about two months, I had the tumbler going in the garage, and it sounds like a train is coming, or sure, like there's a there's a freeway. <laughs> yeah. Wow! And it's so funny. I never got used to it, and so it's just that that low rumbling that like a truck went by. Yeah. But just all <laughs> the time, and I'm constantly like, "Oh, did I leave the like? Is the who's doing the laundry right now? Or like what? What's going oh, wow. on?" It was always the answer was always the rock tumbler. So I never learned. And the, you know, there's a probably a lot of metaphors in there, but the best metaphor I would say for my life is I put in all this, these crude rocks, they're unpolished, right? Put them all together. And I took them out after two months of work and science and doing all the things right. And they're basically still like kind of crude, not very polished rocks at the end. So Seriously? there you go. <laughs> wow. Uh, not quite as... Not quite. They don't look like the picture. Um, they're not pink and shiny. They're not. They're not. They're, there's like shiny spots. So I'm proud of that. So I'm going to like place them on a mantle. But they're definitely not polished. And neither am I. Wow. That's a, and it's my. It's because I don't. I don't understand rocks. I don't know how they work. And you're supposed well, to. Rocks are pretty yeah, hard. Yeah, but they're different amounts of hard than each other. Oh. And I think that was my problem. I put in hard ones and soft ones, and I think that means that you're just always making them a little bit worse every time they tumble up against each other. Hmm. I can see that. So that's the that's like the least consequential thing happening in my life. I don't know why I led with that. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure people were wanting to know. Yeah. Just, you know, rock update, April 22. Right. Yeah, I had a weird week last week. Um, I 
I hadn't, I hadn't posted on TikTok for a long time. And so we, we had Dan McClellan on and, uh, you know, he's got all these followers. So I thought I'll make a quick TikTok thing. Hey, you know, we got Dan on the thing, listen to the podcast, et cetera. And he like, like duetted the video. So he like, like him, like side by side with me and he put it on his channel. Like, Hey, go listen to the podcast. And, um, suddenly we got all these views for it and the, the listenership of that one episode shot through the roof and I'm like, oh, let's ride this way a little bit. So I put a couple of, uh, I put a couple, uh, quick videos on, on TikTok, and one of them got like 60, 62,000 views. Holy or something cow. something crazy. And I got a thousand new followers. <laughs> and it's like, wow. what? And, and <laughs> so it's, it's been weird because I didn't plan that. And I, I was probably not going to go anywhere from there, but I mean, just having the 62,000 followers, which is, you know, like I said, a lot, but not terribly a ton for, you know, in TikTok standards, because there are people who have 10 million followers and each view, each one of their videos gets a million views or whatever. Just having the 60,000 views that I got was in like, I couldn't manage the comments, like 500 comments on this thing. And I, I was like trying to track what, like, I, I didn't want people to say horrible things to each other. It was, it was pretty much nice, but I was, it was just like, my phone was blowing up. I'm like, <laughs> how, how do these people manage this stuff? Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be TikTok famous if that's what this means. Man, that's, that's insane. And just, I feel like, uh, we talked with Dan about this, but I'm always yeah. curious how people react when you suddenly are aware who's listening or that people are listening. Hmm. Like if they change their yeah. message or, yeah. I, I'm, cause I totally do. I'll, if, if I bump into someone and they say, oh, I, I'm listening to the podcast. I'm like, well, now I got it. Like, <laughs> I've got the mental Rolodex in my mind. Yeah. Like, okay, here like, are the I people <laughs> that I know. So I got to be careful. I feel like I'll start to take on a voice that's not my voice. That's like my persona that now like is crafted by who is listening to me. So mm-hmm. I'm always curious because it impacts me. Who's in the room impacts how I talk. And then who I imagine is listening impacts like what I'm saying and what I talk about. Yep. But if you're listening because you're a Dan McClellan tag along, welcome. Thanks for <laughs> yeah. Thanks for trying out another episode. Yeah, totally. It's exciting. We're we are honored to have you here. You, if you if you haven't reviewed us on on the thing, pause and leave a review or contact us. We've got a website. We've got contact information there, and we are, I'd say. Per- very good at getting back to emails. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> but if we went viral, uh, that would probably not happen. What kind of, what kind of spiritual thoughts you've been having lately? Nathan. <sighs> All right. So this doesn't start out spiritual, but um, we can track listeners and like generally what region people are in. Mm-hmm. So we can't tell like Susan from Omaha is listening, um, but we can tell 
like somebody in Sweden listened. So I'm I'm just fascinated by that. I'm I'm so interested in who's listening and what's their story and you know I hope the things that I share it's mostly for me. I'm mostly talking to Steve, right? But I'm still interested in like are we helping these? Like is is this a entertaining or helpful or insightful oh, yeah. show f- for these people? And so I I look at this stuff and track this stuff and we have approximately, it's kind of hard to tell, but probably one listener in Russia and also mm. one listener in Kiev, Ukraine. Really? And I looked I at that, looked and I was at like, that in a while. This is so interesting. Who are you? What's your story? And like, wow, what, you know, what an interesting perspective that would be right now. Um so that yeah, I mean, that's just fascinating to me. And every once in a while we get, maybe it's just a server. You know, I have no idea if they live there or not, but interesting stuff. But I, following the news of, of this war that's going on and and all of the, um, it's just such an interesting dynamic that's been happening. Um, I was pretty proud at this group of countries who tend to not be able to agree on things that came together and decided they were going to do the limited things they can do to, you know, see if they can get Putin out of power or make this war unpopular in Russia. And so the U S and a bunch of other countries are levying sanctions on Russia. Um, but the, the interesting thing to me was that, um, most of these countries, including the U S uh, continued to buy oil from Russia. Hmm. And I don't know enough about geopolitics and um, economics to know if that's a good decision or a bad decision. But it makes me wonder, like, what is our ultimate value? What decides when we support a thing or when we condemn a thing? Hmm. Is there a, do we kind of know or, or do the leaders kind of know that if we do something that's going to impact consumers really directly, that maybe we don't have the stomach for what it would mean if we had, you know, $9 a gallon gas Mm. prices or something. And then what does that mean about me and what level of discomfort would I be willing to put up with in the name of a long-term good? So you can Mm. say like, you know, this cannot stand, but we will continue to, (laughs) to pay for your, your uh, military in the form of oil. Yeah. It's just a, so it's, it's kind of a political thing, but I've been doing a lot of thinking about ultimate values. What are the things that are at the bottom of my decisions? You know, I care about people and happiness and, uh, you know, the environment and my country. Um, but what is the thing that I care about the most? It's interesting that you phrase that and like you started thinking of that as as far as from the from the direction of what would I give up to do a thing and then the the almost like the exercise of what what would I give up to 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 show support for or against a thing and then it yeah. leads you to like well you know what is what is my value system I mean at work I get some I'm especially moving into the roles I'm in now. I'm having to think a lot more about money. I'm a designer. 
I don't want to have to learn how to do spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, I'm hiring people right now. I've got like a bunch of jo- op- jo- open jobs right now. And so we've been having a hard time finding them because every single person in the world ha- wants to hire software engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all want to hire software engineers that are, are, or they have a lot of openings that are like remote only and everybody so they can just sit in their basement and do their thing. But we, through the nature of our stuff, we kind of need to have people there so they can have be hands-on with the equipment. Anyway, long story short, <clears throat> I'm having a hard time getting people. And I don't usually use recruiters because I've never had to use a recruiter before because they cost a lot of money. So if you use a recruiter and you hire the person they give you, you typical fee is about 25% of the person's first year salary. Holy cow. Yeah. So easy math. If, if you're hiring a person for a hundred thousand a year, the day they start working, you have to write a check to that recruiter for 25 grand. Oh, wow. Which is a lot more than like a free posting on indeed.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm having to start thinking more along the lines of, well, if I pay twenty five grand to get this person hired, is that going to be is that going to enable us to make that much more money than if they didn't and we couldn't do as much stuff as we wanted to do? I, I'm actually trying to kind of keep myself from having that mindset at home because, like, there's some things I, I like doing myself. I like mowing the lawn and doing some stuff like that. Um. And Christy's like, well, we shouldn't just hire somebody to do the lawn for the summer. I'm like, oh, I want to do it. She's like, it's, you know, it's going to take you so long. And, I, and then I started thinking, well, okay, if it takes me two hours to do the lawn, and you know, do all this calculus on my head, yeah, dollars-wise, I'm like, but I enjoy doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I do the same thing where it's hard not to just, like, make the spreadsheet in my head where I'm like, well, my <laughs> time is worth this if it took me this long and I can do it for less then that's how I make my decision instead of yep. I enjoy it this much. I don't know how to measure enjoyment other than in dollars. Like, oh, was that movie worth $25, right? Or mm. um, was the popcorn worth $7? You know, the uh, I'm, I'm boiling everything down to this one thing. And I, I'm in this uncomfortable position where I don't want that to be my ultimate value. And mm-hmm. I work at a corporation where that's the whole point. Oh yeah, everything we're doing, but I don't think it should be because I live in an idealistic imaginary world. And so when we get to a decision and the ultimate thing is like, we like to, we have marketing that says like, we care about you, you know, your people, or we care about our people, you know, but we care about money more. Um, so it enables, we have this phrase in business. We, it's just business, right? We're just doing business, right? And that, that's a really simple phrase. I hear it all the time. I say it sometimes like, listen, it's just business. You know, it's not personal. I'm like, we just had it, you know, it's business, dollars Mm -hmm. and cents. Um, and what you get to do with that phrase are commit atrocities. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, it's, you know, we had layoffs, just business, right? It's like, well, who says it has to just be business? (laughs) Why isn't it business and some other things? So bringing it back to the spiritual thought, looking for ultimate values in faith groups or in yourself, starting with yourself and trying to understand what, what decisions were made and what was at the very bottom, right? Um, what are the things that 
our it's just business. Hey, it's just religion. You know what? You know, it's it's just a church that we're doing here. So we had to do this thing. Th- that's something I've been I've been looking for and kind of more tuned into. So we have been where I have been critical of certainty as an ultimate good. Yeah. Knowing what the right things are and either doing those or just believing those correct things as an ultimate good. So even like Jesus said to love your neighbor as a rule, um, you can either love your neighbor because love is your ultimate good, or you can think I'm supposed to love people because certainty is my ultimate good. Hmm. Right. You can, you can take good things that are mostly good, but then when you come to a decision point, if love is not your ultimate good, but being correct is you are going to do things that are not loving um, because mm. you're like, well, I have to be, I have to love in the correct way. I have to love according to the whatever. Um, and, and certainty is my ultimate good. So I feel like I have beaten that certainty horse to death, but there's so much of it out there that I probably will continue that crusade. It kind of feels sort of like a ends end justify the means type of a thought process a little bit. Yes. It's a good tool to figure out what are your ends. So like, what is the thing that you're looking for and what, what means does that make you capable of? And I think people who have been maybe hurt in a church setting, they were, they were hurt by the means to some ends Mm -hmm. that someone that was well-meaning and is trying to do the right thing or a group when they, when the group comes together, just like my business, they have a, they have a certain end that they cannot sacrifice or that they cannot move to second place priority or third place priority. And so that's when somebody gets hurt. I'm trying to think of it like a tool to figure this out, but just asking the question, like what is my ultimate bottom line good? Um, or what is this group's ultimate, their ultimate thing? And the, the biblical churchy word for this is idolatry. Yeah which is when you place something as that ultimate good that should not be there. Yeah. So it in our society I would absolutely say money is an idol because we use money as our ultimate justification for both good decisions and for immoral decisions. Mm-hmm. But they're they're justified because they make economic sense. You know, for example, if you care about the environment, but maybe the the solution to fixing an environmental problem would cost a lot of money, right? Um, companies who who produce a thing that has plastic in it or has dangerous chemicals in it, let's require that they are they have to fund the recycling of that thing, right? We could pass that law. And then yeah. everything would be twice as expensive the next day because those companies would have to pay for that environmental impact now. Mm-hmm. And so we've decided in our society that, no, that's not worth it. We'd rather the you know environment take that cost of that, that dollar amount um, because we do want to be a green company, but not like not so green that it impacts, you know, the dollar. If you have an ultimate thing that shouldn't be ultimate, it it's going to cause you problems. So certainty is the most obvious for people like us who grew up in a fundamentalist group. 
it's going to be hard for us to go from our fundamentalist upbringing into anything else without ultimately bringing it back to certainty about a new thing. Like so many people that we've heard from are struggling with, well, if this isn't right, then what is right? Like Mm, if, if I was told this thing, but now I'm realizing that's not true. Well, I, I'm missing my ultimate certainty and I've got to find it somewhere else or find out what that is. Yeah. There's, there has to be a certainty in something. Yes. Yeah. And it can be, it could be certainty in that that group is, is completely wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, there's certainly a kind of atheism that is a certainty based atheism or a fundamentalist atheism, just like there is a certainty based, you know, religious fundamentalism, but things like doubt is an example or deconstruction where doubt, if you have come from a certainty environment is a thing you need more of it, it humbles you. It helps you to ask better questions. It helps you to interact with people in a more loving way. But if you replace certainty as your ultimate thing with doubt as your ultimate thing, then you are the, you know, man building on sand instead of on stone. You, you have no, Mm. nothing to tie you down. Um, if it's the ultimate thing, because you kind of by its nature, it's, it's nihilism, right? If doubt is your ultimate thing or not being able to know something. Yeah. uh, Have you read the book by Pete ends called uh, Peter ends the sin of certainty? No, but I think it sounds like a book I would like or agree with. Okay. I was hoping you'd read it because I haven't. <laughs> no, no, I, there's but the, it, it, just the title sounds great. <laughs> yeah. I, my philosophy yeah. is I tend to get, if I get a book and I agree with it all the way in the title, then it gets a second rung on my shelf mm. because I know what they're going to say. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. I mean, I'll do that when I need to build my confidence back up from the last uh, book I read. Yeah, the um, subtitle of this one is Why God Desires Our Trust More Than Our Correct Beliefs. Ooh, interesting. I, I do like um, putting trust in the place of certainty instead of, that's interesting. Because trust yeah. is not the same thing as, uh, it's not the same thing as doubt. It's not the same thing as certainty, but you can move forward without certainty. Right, certainty. You mm-hmm. gotta move forward um, with confidence in yourself. That's a really good point because if you trust, like, if you're hiking, you've not been on this trail before, or maybe it's not a really well-worn trail. If you got somebody leading you, you trust that they know where they're going, and you don't necessarily have to be certain of where they're going. Yeah. And you, you may not generally what the end goal is, but you may not trust. You, you may not know what's what's along the way but you trust that they know enough to get you there yes we use faith sometimes to mean that same kind of thing yeah but i think often we'll use faith in a very certainty based context and so when faith becomes an ultimate thing especially the way that we kind of have grown up to understand what faith means we think it's believing the things that you've been told yeah. And when faith is an ultimate good, you end up with some people who will be impervious to logic. Yeah. Or information. Um almost it's kind of built in like 
faith means don't believe what's in front of you, believe what you were told by authority. And so you end up with maybe our political situation right now or our religious situation right now where out of a well-meaning um, foundation of faith is holding true to this thing I've been told. When it's at the bottom of your religious belief, it can certainly do some damage as opposed to the faith that is letting go, right? There's right. The, the faith that is holding tight to what you believe. And there's good, there's good things in those. It's not that it's a bad thing. It's that when it becomes the core central thing, it can be damaging. Yeah. Um, I've caught myself lately or I've, I, I guess I've, I've looked back in my, in my personal timeline and I have realized that I, I use the term faith exactly the way you're describing as to, as equated with certainty. And when I, when I say like that really shook my faith or, you know, I've lost my faith, those kinds of phrases, it really means I've, uh, my certainty is shaken or, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, yes. Hmm. And, and the, I think a lot of people who are listening have know exactly what you mean. Yeah. If faith is, let's just start with like the Bible. You think that the Bible is supposed to mean that the earth was created in seven literal days, which I don't mm -hmm. think it was trying to do. That's another topic. And then you encounter something that, stands against that, that can feel like a faith shattering thing. I had this faith and the thing that I had faith in is being shook. Yeah. Um, and there are much more nuanced versions of that. I chose kind of an easy one, I think, but there are all kinds of versions of here's what I was taught about the Bible or even just here's what I'm reading in the Bible. And then seeing a thing that challenges that challenges my faith that's evidence that your faith was in this information. Mm. And you can read, you know, what's the verse um, Hebrews that kind of defines faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Mm -hmm. You can interpret that two ways or probably a hundred ways, but you can interpret that to be like being certain of what we hope for, of, of what we do not see. And okay, I already messed it up. <laughs> faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So that goes against what I just said. Like I'm it saying, sounds certainty. all about certainty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're saying faith is about certainty and, and that's baked into what we think. And I would say it's about relational certainty. It's about trust. It's not about information. It's not about facts. Yeah. Um, when the writer of Hebrews says this, uh, he's not, referring to faith is being certain that exactly what was written in the Torah is exactly what happened. He's saying what we do not see and what we hope for is it's relational. It's God. Our trust in God and our, or in the spirit leading us in the right direction. That's a kind of faith that requires you to let go of certainty mm. of the, of you have it because you have to trust and have faith that it's, God doing it. And the same, the same author talks about like what is happening behind the scenes is God is doing things behind the scenes. Hmm. Like that is the thing that we have faith in and that we have certainty in not, 
um, this ho- I, sh- I didn't research this, so um, this would be a great time to leave a one-star review about my understanding of uh, Hebrews 11. But <laughs> um, but it's not a, a hall of um, clinging to a fact. It's it's the list of people who have clung to this relationship and believed that that God will follow through. You know, I've realized that a lot of my my rethinking faith and rethinking my beliefs and, and everything comes is coming back to like probing at those things that I was the most certain of. And you know, for as as we have discussed, you know, a lot of that comes back to Bible stuff. Like things about the Bible. Um and that's, I think that's one reason I'm so fascinated by these biblical scholar guys. They're upending a lot of things that I was so certain of, and that fascinates me. Yeah. I'm not, I don't always know what to do with what I hear from them. Um, and I don't always know that I'm 100% on board with it. I mean, one, one, you know, back to the Den McClellan episode, I really like his concept of the, data over dogma as far as trying to figure out the the nuts and bolts of the thing. But there's so much more to life than data. Yeah. And and that's one thing that I'm struggling with, my relationship with the scriptures, with the Bible in general. It's been such a core part of me for so long. And I'm, I'm real, I'm finding that the data is different than I thought it was. But does that mean that it's useless? I don't think so. You know? And and, and the way the, the black and white thinking we're raised with is that it if it's not It's all or nothing. All perfect. It's yeah, it's all or nothing. If it's not perfect, then what good is it at all? Just throw it away. Yeah. Might as well be a Buddhist or whatever. <laughs> I mean But I think that's I think that's where a a lot of people find themselves in a in deconstruction or if they're hurt by church or if they're just seeing a difference between maybe like the Jesus that they read about in the scripture and then what a church is doing. Yeah. These little cracks cause them to go back and then you're going to find things that don't line up, whether it's scholarship like Dan McClellan or even relational differences between mm-hmm. what your church is doing and what you think, you know, maybe Jesus was trying to tell us. So that that is a crisis. That's a moment where, especially if your what was ultimate for you was a certain thing, that's going to absolutely shake your faith and you're going to be reeling, trying to figure out what to do next. I think things like data over dogma, it's important to understand the utility of that. So... Right. When is it useful to approach something like the Bible as a scholar? Uh, well, you you have to do that if you want to understand this, the history of the Bible. How did it come here? How does it work? What were the cultural contexts? Data over dogma allows you to approach the Bible in that way, just like assuming materialism helps you to do physics. 
So if you come to the Bible and you're, what you're trying to do is biblical scholarship, but you, you also have a belief about the Bible that you will not put aside while you do that scholarship, you're going to end up with poor scholarship, which is why I agree completely with what Dan said and, and his approach. But it's important to realize that that is not the whole world, just like matter is not the whole world, right? The, the realm of, of physics is reproducible material world. And the realm of biblical scholarship is not the same Venn diagram as Christianity or religion or faith. Yeah. But it will cause you to ask things like, what is the Bible and what is it for? And what does it mean to me? And what is it for and what does it mean to me cannot be answered by biblical scholarship. Right. Yeah. I like that, that analogy with science, with uh, physics. Well, just science in general. So if I, if I have a well that everybody's getting sick when they drink the water and I believe in my heart that there are tiny demons in the water and I'm refusing to admit that there might be it might be the fact that it's next door to the outhouse. Right. <laughs> then I'm going to completely ignore the outhouse and I'm going to focus on that and I'm never going to learn. I'm never going to grow. So you have to put that that dogma, the belief in the demons in the water outside of your head and focus on just the science. But <clears throat> going back to the biblical, biblical scholarship stuff, the, there has to be some crossover. There has to be like it, I, so much of my belief and my faith in in Jesus and um, the way I live my life is is centered on the Bible. And if that, if the data over dogma removes a lot of the certainty that those things are accurate or real, or I mean, that, then then that it's like it's like the foundation kind of needs to be the data. So I am free to have the dogma. Oh, yes. I think I really thought this through. <laughs> I think biblical scholarship can crush and destroy someone's faith. I think biblical scholarship can embolden or nourish or, um, add wisdom and maturity to someone's faith. Understanding physics could make you look up at the star and f- and not feel that sense of wonder and awe. Mm-hmm. It also can make you look at the star and feel even more sense of wonder and awe. Understanding what it is and what it's doing is not good or bad. And it, even under, if right. we knew 100% exactly how the, the Bible was composed, um, who composed it, what they were thinking, you could know all of that and not be a step closer to loving your neighbor. Or you could know all of that mm. and be the greatest teacher, neighbor, self-sacrificing servant in, in the planet, but they're completely separate from each other. And so what it does do, though, if I believe that stars are gods and that they are um, spiritual beings to lead us and guide us, and then I find out that they're just matter and dust and physics. I don't know what stars are made out of. <laughs> um then that's going to shatter your belief because you have a belief about stars that is incorrect. And so understanding a good question when you 
confront this stuff and you're, it's a crisis of faith, which it is for, for so many of us, like it's, it's a big deal, but a good question to ask is what is the purpose of the Bible? Like, what do I believe the Bible is for and why? What did I believe before about it? The first time I saw a Bible, it was bound completely as Mm -hmm. one text and it was in English. Right. And it has chapter and verse markings in it. And so without anybody telling me, I thought of this thing as a thing, right? And the popular belief in our culture is that not even in Christianity is just like the Bible is God's word to us, the instructions for life or the ultimate truth or something like that. It is a thing. And it's a thing. And now you take a step further and I'm in the church of Christ and at the core of the church of Christ is a very well-intentioned thing, which is a unified Christian movement. Great. That's a good thing to want. Um, But how do you do that? Well, they decided we're going to take this thing and develop beliefs about it, that it does not claim to about itself. Yeah. Like that it's a unified voice that was never edited and that it's, you know, maybe that complete trust in the way that it came to us through canonization. Right. And that it contains the thing we need to do religion. Correct. Um, it has the things, all we have to do is find them and then figure out what is the rule here and then follow it. And so then you, you, you question anything about the, the perfection of that book and that whole belief system falls apart. Yeah. Because you believe that the Bible was a, this thing, but that same group of people is singing amazing grace. And it does not impact anyone to know that this person, there's a certain person who wrote amazing grace and came up with these words. And we don't believe that those words were given to him by God divinely. And yet there, we know that they're extremely impactful. We use them all the time. Um, we will use them devotionally. We could add a verse to amazing grace that is completely useful for our religious expression. And we wouldn't think twice about it because we believe that the, what the song amazing grace is, is a devotional song that helps us understand something about God in a beautiful way. And we understand that we, you know, poetry can add to that. We can sing the first verse and not the second verse. And we're okay with that because we don't have belief. But if we believed that amazing grace was the rule for how we understand exactly what grace means, then it would not be acceptable to add something to it or to not sing the second verse Mm -hmm. because of our beliefs about it. If the point, if who compiled the Bible was not God, but it was the church and the purpose for, and you know, that's a little bit, you know, and rabbis for thousands of years. Yeah. And rabbis for thousands of years compiled what we now call the Old Testament for for purposes that were very true and went back and edited a bunch of stuff and added stuff um, that were true in the in the sense of a path, but not true in the sense of journalism. Right. Because they, they served a function just like adding a verse to Amazing Grace. And then the church compiled this thing because it was useful to understand their beliefs about God 
and to help us get into relationship with God, our ultimate uh, plumb line or our ultimate good doesn't stop with the text of the Bible or believing a certain thing about the Bible because the Bible is just us trying to get to something that's even deeper than that that requires us to certainly have have a relationship with that scripture and understand it. And that's when biblical scholarship can get you closer to that, to understand what, what was the context? What, what was the culture here? What did it mean when they wrote it? What were they writing that was, you know, what were they writing in contrast to? Mm-hmm. Um, those things, when you see this as, as this thing that's trying to get you closer to this relationship, it's a completely different feeling than I think a lot of us have the feeling that we have when we find out someone lied in their biography. (laughs) Yeah. Right. This is an outrage. If there was a lie in the biography, I can't trust a single word of it. And that person is a liar because that's how we think of the Bible. We think it's God's biography. And if there is, if we find out that, that it was changed here and there, or that there's a part of it that maybe should have been in it, but isn't in it. Or there's a thing in it that shouldn't be. We're like God lied in his biography. We can't trust anything. Okay. I was thinking earlier about your, like this, that actually kind of goes back to your um, analogy of the stars, you know, believing that the stars are gods or whatever. If you believe that, and you, you know, your whole life you believe that, and then you find out that they're, as you said, just balls of gas or whatever, um, could they be both? Of course, why, why couldn't yeah. they be both? You know, you say you yeah. say just balls of gas, and then the, then you, you know, you you tend to believe that well, they're they're nothing. They're only they're they're all they're all only material. They're no longer spiritual, right? And they could be both. Uh, or or you could have been wrong the whole time. And I, and I've I've gone around and around in, in my head about this because uh, just so much of the Bible has been misused by people. Uh, we you know we know over the history of quote-unquote Christianity that the, the name of Jesus has been used to do some horrible things and still is. The more I learn about the Bible and how it was put together, um, it, it seems it's, as I'm, I'm at this point, that's, I almost feel like it's just man's best guess at how to approach God <laughs> or something. But it's like there's no there's no way around the fact that at some point – whether or not you believe how how much you believe that the stars are gas or the stars are gods that you there's you, there's a that leap of we call it the leap of faith there just there is no way to scientifically prove or disprove god you just can't do it and i think there's there's always a way to talk around the problems in scripture like it has been compiled by many people over many, many years and uh, edited, changed, uh, and they go back and they take parts out of the Bible, whatever happened. And you could say, well, that's how God wanted it to 
form. That's his idea. Well, First and Second Timothy wasn't written by Paul, so doesn't matter that God still wanted those books in there, and because that's how He wanted it to be formed. But that's still that's that's a leap of faith. So, and that's that's the thing that I'm struggling with the most right now is the. And I don't know if there's an answer. I think it's just more of a time to let it settle in my brain, one way or the other. Is when you have the all of these contrary ideas in your head you want to figure it out and the easiest thing is to just do the leap of faith sometimes sometimes it's the hardest thing and so what I'm trying to figure out is how valuable do I consider the kind of as I see it kind of the science of the Bible of biblical study which is critical scholarship how, how valuable is that how much should that affect my just pure belief that God has given us these things because we cannot prove that God gave us those things. I mean, we know that a human wrote them down. Yeah, but we don't, we don't care to know that God gave us certain things that are useful for spiritual life. Like in some parts of our life, that's an irrelevant question. Um, But that's such a strong belief that we have about the Bible which is the specific way that it came to us that we start to add intention or even agency by God that God isn't even claiming through the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because we still want to be able to lean on a certainty thing. Right. But the only thing that you can get, if you understood the data part of the Bible completely is certainty about the Bible, but it doesn't, necessarily get you a step closer to like any kind of knowledge or relationship with God or certainty about what you're supposed to do with that certainty. (laughs) It's, 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 and it's useful and it's, we need biblical scholars who believe and who don't believe and who approach it devotionally and who approach it, uh, from that data standpoint. We as a global community need that honest work to be happening yeah. But if if what you're looking for is like does God exist or what meaning am I supposed to take from this? That's not the branch of thought that's going to get you there ultimately. Yeah. You've got to add you've got to be adding other stuff to it just like the physics thing. We we have so many beliefs about what the Bible is, which is why it it's so difficult for people who learn anything that runs contrary to that. Just when I found out that the Catholic Bible is different from the Protestant Bible, you know, it just seems like that shouldn't be allowed. You know, (laughs) why did God allow that to happen? Devotionally, there are several options. They're like, God is fine with that. Like you're going to be able to figure it out, right? Like it didn't need to be a perfect medium for you to get the truth. Another thing mm-hmm. is like, yeah, God did mean for that to happen and he's fine with like, it can be both things. I think that we, we took like all, all scriptures, God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training to mean a specific thing about what is the Bible when mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a specific thing about God, hmm. right? It's, it's still a re- relational thing. If you took an inerrant approach to scripture, you have verses that say things like, 
You could know everything, and if you don't have love, that doesn't matter. And it's still so hard for us to not say, like, well, I still want to know everything. But yeah. we were just told by the by this very same scripture, like, that. the end of that is not a thing that gets you closer. And we have we have this person of Jesus who is challenging not the people who got it wrong, but the people who got it right and understand the Bible the best. And their understanding of the Bible is getting in the way of their, uh, what Jesus considered ultimate, which was loving people. Hmm. And so he criticized them not for getting it wrong or understanding it incorrectly, but getting their priorities wrong and missing the meaning that was trying to be conveyed here, not the text. So that that's, that's all like a, that's like a half a sermon to say that the Bible was compiled by the church. The new Testament was compiled by the church over hundreds yeah. of years and then yeah. used by the church for thousands of years. And we've added so many things that didn't end up in the Bible that are extremely useful to us. You know, nobody cares that the common book of prayer was put together by people because we know how useful it is for, for devotion and it helps instruct people and it helps you to know what to do at a funeral. Um, but it, if you memorized the book of prayer and understood what each version of the book of prayer, you know, why that happened and, who wrote it and how it's been changed over time that doesn't get you any closer to a, an actual living relationship with God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I think the, another area that's, that I've, I've run up against is like philosophically, you mentioned how maybe people were getting, if you're fo- focusing on the literalism of it, you're missing the message. Just, you that's not the word you used like if you're worried about the um, inerrancy of it or whatever, right? then um, you can read the thing, but miss the message. Well, okay. So, so where does the message come from? Yeah. And I think you mean like, what's the authority of the message? Yeah. You know, if it didn't come from God directly from the mouth of God to the ear of the person writing it down, or if it did do that, but then somebody changed it, then mm-hmm. hasn't it lost its authority from God? Yeah. And then at that point, how is it actually different than the book of prayer or a really good book by Francis Chan about how you need to love people around you? So I, and I'm not, I'm not sure that these are, like I said, I'm not sure that this is answerable stuff. It's just the myriad questions that fly in and out of my head over, over the course of a week or so yeah, uh, or constantly really a lot of it, you know, like I said, based upon the way I was raised, there's this requirement that what I believe or what I, what I consider valuable and important must connect to a source of authority. Yeah. And so when I hear things about, you know, Paul didn't write this book. Well, that, that screws up the authority of that book. And then, you know, 
similarly, that if, if it screws up the authority of that book, does it screw up the authority of the books around it? And yeah. on and on and on. It feels like a convert, like we have been brought up to understand the rules of the game. In the in-group, we knew we understood the rules of the game and we we were good at them. And now, as as an out-group, but defined by what we used to be, mm-hmm. we want to play by the same rules that they established, but that got them into so much trouble. Right. Because we want to be able to be right according to their rules. Like if we can't, if we can't prove ourselves by their rules Mm. and bring it down to a proof text or to an authority or to like scientifically, I prove this thing. Then another way of saying like, well, I can't prove it to myself because I still believe those rules are still ultimate important rules, but we know that those rules were bad rules and Mm. we know what the ultimate end of those rules were, which is that you could get the rules you can follow the rules and hurt people. You can follow the rules and understand God incorrectly, mm-hmm. right? So just changing to following the rules, but with better information, um, mm-hmm. doesn't, it's not automatically going to bring you to a good place because the, the rules themselves aren't great rules. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Western modern linear, you know, a to B rhetoric thought. It's kind of like, you know, proof text about like God exists. Mm-hmm. Not only does God exist, but he has orchestrated this thing in right. a perfect way. Right. And the more that people try to prove that God exists to me, the more I think, I don't think you believe that God exists. <laughs> the people who are trying to prove to you that they have a girlfriend who lives out of state do not have a girlfriend. <laughs> right. If they're like, no, she's real. Look, here's a here's a blurry picture of us together. It's like, no, you don't have it. Like, the more you try to prove to me that your girlfriend exists, the less I believe you. Because people who have a girlfriend don't have to prove it to anybody. And so yeah. if you don't know God and have never experienced what it's like to have a relationship with him that changes how you love people, then you're going to have to prove that the emperor is wearing clothing and you're going to develop a lot of things to prove to yourself that that you are correct about this thing, but you don't. You can let go of all of that if you have that relationship, and if you are seeing the way that you have changed and the way that you love people has changed, and you can recognize that in other people without caring if they're right about something or not. Um, I think the you know Brian McLaren's harmony. Mm-hmm is very much that feeling that like, you know, you're trying to play by these rules. They're kind of silly, but you know, you'll, you'll figure it out. Like, right. Those rules aren't going to get you there, but you know, I followed those rules for so long and look where they got me, you know, so now I can hold them a little bit looser and there's going to be people who can proof text me wrong all day. And I'll just let them because like, bless their hearts. They're, they're trying their best. And, you know, I can kind of, close my eyes and, you know, picture the relationship part that just makes that kind of rule-based system so foolish, you know? Yeah. And what you were saying about the rules, about how playing, like we said, playing by the the same rules, but with more information doesn't really (laughs) change the game. No. Um, And that, that really hit me because I think that, so whenever I ask myself these questions that I was just asking you or throwing out into the void. Um, 
of like, you know, where's the authority come from and all this stuff. And I, I, whenever I ask those questions, I have have this feeling that I'm asking the wrong question, you know, because I'm asked the questions I'm asking are all, how do I keep all of this, all these concepts and all this thought and all these ideas inside the box that I grew up with and make it fit. But if the box I grew up with was part of the problem, then maybe I need to focus on getting out of the box and and the rules are different. And so that, that kind of opens things up a little bit or a lot of it because then the questions that you ask are, I, I, it, it is the harmony thing, like like Brian McLaren's harm, like the fourth stage from the Faith After Doubt book, and that's maybe maybe that's one of the reasons that that's a hard stage for me to understand and really grasp because it's kind of a stage of not knowing and being okay with that and accepting, but still focusing on things, which those are all things that feel like. If I I feel like if I'm focusing on like loving other people, then that it's so easy to make that a rule and a law and make it rigid and boxed in. <laughs> but the way yeah. what he's talking about is like expanding that and just really playing by a different. Uh, it's, it's a different game. And you can't jump to that either. That that's, you know, the hard part too is that if you started in certainty, and now you're somewhere in the deconstruction mess, right? Um, you have just lost an anchor or a pillar or like you have lost stability. And so you're going to be scrambling for like, what is the thing I can hold on to during this time? And you, you need, even if it is playing, you know, the old rules with new information, that's still a step better. You can't just ask someone who's, who's just started this to just throw it all away and, and go straight to questioning both the information and the rules. Cause that's like, yeah. that's very scary and disorienting and what, and your, your brain's just going to explode and you're going to give up. <laughs> but even asking like, well, what are the things that I have held onto this whole time? Where did they come from? And why is that? And, and one answer for me has been Jesus's teaching and his focus on people. Uh, and that so many things, other than loving people become idols for us. So loving people has been this guiding thing for me. Well, why, why has that thing stayed constant for me? If I'm questioning the very sources that I'm getting that from. Mm -hmm. And one answer is that I have given my, I have made the meaning myself. It has become meaningful to me and my experience. So I'm choosing that. That's one answer. 
but also it got me closer to a truth that I don't do naturally on my own. And so I have seen the results of that in people and I have seen the positive results of that in me. And I want, like it paints a picture of a future Nathan that I want to be like. Mm. The truth in that is uh, transcends the medium because it didn't matter to me so much the specifics of what language was it written in and what did the specific word mean. Like none of that was important in how it came to me. But I can take that back to the Bible and say, okay, I have an anchor. My anchor is this teaching of of Jesus, um, love God and love others. What if I, I read the Bible with this new anchor that I have? I'm going to discover all these new things that I didn't read there before. Mm-hmm. And that's going to give me the kind of authority that comes from, that's wisdom. When you, you hear a thing and then you live a thing and then you, that thing is proven true and over and over, you should have $20 in your wallet is a fact that I have been told, (laughs) right? And it's a fact that I have learned the hard way by, by disregarding that. And now I, with inflation, I have $60 in my wallet. You got to have cash in your wallet. It's going to come in useful. And that has become a truth in my life from living it over and over and over until I'm like, yeah, the, you should, this makes sense. Whether or not the person who told me that is a complete liar, this is now, you know, Mm -hmm. did not change that truth that was communicated. And I, I have taken that and gone back and I I have complete faith in, in God and and Jesus, but it's kind of because of that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not because of a scientific reading of Genesis one or a literal reading of Genesis one. It's not because I trust the canonization process because I don't, it's not because I trusted Rome because I don't. Um, It's not because I have placed complete um, trust in the church over time because I haven't, but that is not to say that I have to disregard the church over time or that I have to disregard the canonization process or that I have to disregard um, the, the Bible, right? That it's not an all or nothing thing right? from a devotional side, un- understanding that scholarship has gotten me closer, but I have to take it a step further and s- test it out in my life and see what it, what does it mean to me? And then like do it for a while. Yeah. And I think one of the, uh, the, I like how you're, you're putting that as far as it, there are what, what I'm hearing you say anyway is there are truths and there are re, there are realities that it doesn't matter who who taught you it doesn't matter if they've since been canceled <laughs> or or whatever that it's still a it's still a really good idea to have twenty bucks in your wallet to, you know to really stretch the analogy too far probably is that there can be a lots of people in the world who have told you. 20 bucks is in your wallet's a good idea. And it's still a true thing, even if the person that you heard it from is not who you thought they used to be or whatever. And if I learned that that dollar has actual no value other than the trust I give in the U.S. government and that the whole printing money thing is kind of a scam, uh, like that doesn't change the wisdom of putting $20 in my pocket. Like the understanding how money works more 
makes me freak out about money, but it doesn't change the, <laughs> you know, the, that, that truth. And th- these are kind of clumsy analogies because I, yeah, I have definitely grown in, as I have grown in trying to have a relationship with people that models the relationship that Christ taught. And as I have tried to see what does it mean to have a relationship with God, my trust in the truths that the Bible teaches has grown. Mm-hmm. But that is a different thing than my belief about the Bible. So its usefulness for me has only gotten gotten better and its beauty has gotten more. And it really is for me, it's stardust and the heavenly host all in one. And that's not the... That's not the end of biblical scholarship for a lot of people, and that's not where a lot of people are going to go. And that's that's okay because that it just isn't like those those fact questions only get fact answers, and path questions can give you path answers, but they're not going to be as certain as as these. Um, it is a, a faith thing not a certainty thing. Yeah. And I almost, I kind of, I'm a very visual person. So I I visualize, I'm kind of visualize like instead of, I used to focus on truths, lots of truth or truths with, with an S at the end. Um, and the, in in the Bible I'd focus on, um, like if you look through like one thing that's thrown around a lot is like the, the path that Jesus took in Mark, is like geographically impossible or something. <laughs> and <laughs> he took a different path in John or whatever. Yeah. I uh, focused on those and I focused on the, the, uh, was this Greek word genitive or dative, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. And I feel like what I'm seeing now, I'm, I'm, it's like I'm raising the, the canopy of, where the truth needs to be. And now, and now it's like, I'm at like a higher level. I'm, I'm trying to, I feel like my soul is trying to see the higher level truths instead of focusing on the tiny little things. I feel like I'm trying to focus on the truth of love God and, you know, expressing your faith in love and, and showing other people love. And if that, if along the way I find out that that Greek word that I was trying to figure out, maybe wasn't even in the original language, original uh, scriptures, <clears throat> sorry, scriptures, then that's it, whatever. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. The, there's still truths across the, the, the board that still matter and they, they still are there and they still change people's lives and they still change people's hearts and souls. I, I, I guess that's kind of how I, where I feel like I'm heading, I guess what it gives me is a little bit of humility and I, I have to lean a little bit more on the letting go kind of faith instead of the holding on kind of faith. And so I'm not going to be able to, with my relational experience of God and trust in God, I'm not going to be able to convince anyone of anything. I, I am not about to go to a, to Morocco and walk into a mosque and say, this is why the thing I believe is more correct than the thing that you believe. And so people who are trying to prove to themselves that the thing that they believe is the absolute correct thing because of the information they have are going to drive themselves crazy. 
it'd be easier for me to disprove them by studying Islam than by studying Christianity, right? Because <laughs> I'd find all their holes and they'd have a crisis of faith, right? Um, instead of finding all of mine. The very message of God was that he was willing to lower himself into this completely imperfect thing called a human in order to love people. Um, or another way to say that, you know, I know that that's in question too, but, <laughs> but, but the, the message of the gospel is that there's a kingdom now it is here. It's good news for the poor. And, um, let me show it to you. I'm not going to tell it to you. I'm going to show it to you. Mm-hmm. And then the new Testament is the story of them figuring out these crazy things and looking back at their texts and reading them with a completely different lens including like, wait, you're asking me to throw out this thing, right? So it, the book of Acts is this messy reckoning with how do I follow this person Christ when I have this text that is holding me back, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And what they've slowly found out what to do is how to read it in a way that makes them understand Jesus better, which is crazy, right? They started, they knew Jesus first, And now Peter is understanding the scriptures better, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which makes him understand Jesus better. And, and none of that was what the rabbis in Babylon were trying to do. Yeah. Well, you've given me a lot to think about, sir. It's a, it's a huge, <laughs> it's kind of overwhelming. Another way I think of it sometimes is do any of these facts about, about the Bible matter to my coworker who's like a complete atheist and thinks we're all crazy? And the answer is <laughs> no, <laughs> not even a little bit. Like, I don't care. Like the whole thing's crazy. Like you're, you're like worried about, you know, one book and he's like, <laughs> There's bushes that are God talking and Jesus raised from the dead. Like that's nuts. Right. Um, yeah. He's like, the whole one, you got a talking nuts. snake. <laughs> yeah. You are crazy. What does matter to him? The way that I treat him and mm-hmm. how I, how he feels that I hold myself as better than him or as not, or as you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and you can get to a better relationship with your coworker through a devotional study of the text or you can be a complete jerk and explain to him why he should, you know, believe or disbelieve the Bible and how it came to be, you know. On the other side of things, they may not care about what you're trying to figure out and all these details about the Bible, but the fact that you are trying to figure it out and that you're wrestling with it and you're trying to be better. I've had I've had atheist friends of mine make that exact comment. They're like um like they maybe they've listened to a couple episodes of our podcast. And they're like, yeah, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but it's nice to know that <laughs> it's nice to see that there are some American Christians out there who are trying to figure it out instead of just, you know, like hugging the flag at church or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not that that would happen, but um, it's just, you know. Yeah. It's a journey. Yeah. Following the fire. It keeps coming back. <laughs>
that analogy. It keeps it's coming like back. It. And you yeah. could you could sit in your little tent in the middle of the desert and be like, what's the fire made out of? You know, and like, how did it get here? And what's it doing? And where is it going? And that is all missing the whole point of what they're trying to do. Right. But I'd still be curious. I'd be like, what happens when you stick a stick in it? Right. I would want to know. And you know what? I'd be I'll take it one step further and say, even if the, they never wanted the desert, even if it never was a pillar of fire, I still am trying to follow the fire. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I, it, it doesn't have to be a, I mean, Jesus taught in parables constantly. And so there are, there are truths there. They don't have to be historically accurate or whatever. Go back I still want to find the scorch marks. Like if I, they find right. them, it'd make me happy. <laughs> like I'm, I'm down. I'm down for that. Oh, 100%, man. That'd yeah, Ark of the Covenant. I want to see the Ark of the Covenant. Well, it's I've learned from house. Raiders of the Lost Ark that I'm not supposed to look at it, but like I want to. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you got something out of the episode today. Check the show notes in your podcast app for all the links and references that were made, or you can find it all at followingthefire.com. If you'd like to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash followingthefire to become a patron. And of course, we'd love it if you rate the podcast and share it with others. See you later. And I'll give you all my heart. Don't you know it's all I have Even on my heart Can't compare with what you're worth I have been running Almost all my life Chase me down